Hello, everyone. Welcome to Scoutsiders episode one. It's our first official episode. I'm super excited to have Scoutsiders co-founder Pat Perry here with us today. And we're going to have an awesome discussion, but I want to introduce Pat. He's a world champion Texas Rangers scout. Pat, congratulations on the world champion on the world championship. And I'm just looking forward to our discussion today. Thank you. Yeah, no, it was really fun to be a part of that run through the playoffs. And, you know, at one point it looked like they weren't even going to get in it. So to end up being there uh, last at the dance and able to put a ring on the finger, so to speak, really awesome and happy to be a part of the organization. Absolutely. I'm super happy for everyone over there as a former Texas Rangers intern. We all know I got to be in the draft room with you and that's kind of how our relationship started. So we're going to get into some of that stuff kind of over time, but let's say we just jump right into the discussion here today. We've got a great topic lined up. I think we're going to be talking about kind of the old school versus new school scouting. Um, but I do want to kind of start out just generally. And, you know, I want this to be something that young scouts and just evaluators of all kinds and people who are curious about scouting can come to and get an idea sort of, of the lay of the land, you know, what is this job about? And I think that's something that's kind of a mysterious thing when it comes to scouting, even though it's it's a topic that's out there in the general, you know, social media or media. So Pat, my first question for you, and I think you're great at this stuff is, how would you explain your job as a scout for the Texas Rangers to a Joe Blow or just a regular guy who's kind of, you know, interested in sports and scouting? You know, it's funny, and I'm sure you have like a similar reaction. You know, when you meet people, when they find out what you do, their reaction is almost like, what a job. That's amazing. You know, you, you get paid to go and watch sports and evaluate players. And, um, you know, that's almost always the reaction you get. So this is a fun topic to talk about. You know, I think, you know, when people hear what you do, I think they're inclined to be like, what a tough job it is. And it really is. And that's what I think makes the things that we've talked about personally, like so exciting about Scoutsiders is kind of just peeling the onion back on this job. But in like layman's terms, I almost always retort to him. I go, look, well, if you think this job's hard, can, can you make an opinion? You know, and they kind of just give you a, a funny look, but it, it, layman's terms, that's it. We're just opinion makers. You know, we're going to take a player and we're going to make an opinion on him. Um, you know, the real art in this for me is is just being consistent, you know, having kind of some key benchmarks that you can keep going back to and and trying to avoid and, and recognizing all the biases that you may bring to the table when you're making that opinion. Uh, and, and, you know, from running an area, um, the positions changed a lot and the responsibilities of the area scout is is hugely about evaluation but i think probably the other aspect that people don't probably appreciate about our job in particular is we're, we're like glorified air traffic controllers uh still i think to this day it's the best analogy you know you, you're responsible for managing all these different people uh, you know you got your national cross checkers your special assistants your regional cross checkers uh, you got video scouts that are running the country you know, and you need to make sure that all those people are, are where they need to be and, and when they need to be there, you know, and then 
going further, it's you need to know where the players are playing. What's the address of the ballpark? How's the weather look? You know, there's all those little facets of, you know, controlling the air traffic that that goes into our job. I love that analogy of an air traffic controller because it's such an unheralded position, but it's so key, you know, and it's like that person who's just making sure there's no massive collisions, right? And and sort of making sure that the forecast is out there property, uh, properly. And I think it comes back to that term of scout, right? Which I think sort of originated in like military vernacular, right? Of kind of going out there into uncharted territories and getting a lay of the land and figuring out, hey, this is where these mountains are. This is where this forest is and drawing out a map so that you can take it back to your to your unit and basically start to say, hey, this is kind of what the area around us looks like. And I, I really love that air traffic controller analogy. We're going to unpack these topics more as we go, but I think that was an awesome initial description of it. And so for you, Pat, like what, you know, you've got an awesome resume that we'll get into over time, but like you, you're a baseball lifer. You've been in this game for a long time, you know, so what, what kind of made you want to do it? And, and why do you love scouting? What draws you to scouting, you know, even after all these years? My journey into the the scouting was a little different. You know, I wasn't a graduate from an Ivy League school, just wanted to work in baseball. Um, that wasn't my path. You know, I, I was a good player, wanted to play in the big leagues, you know, was a Red Sox farmhand from, you know, roughly 04 to 09, you know, and had some great experiences going through the draft and trying to chase that dream. You know, but when my playing career ended, I, you know, I really wanted to shift into the coaching side and just be a head coach somewhere. You know, I really felt that there were strong leaders around me coming up that, you know, had a considerable impact in my life. And, you know, in some ways I wanted to kind of follow in those footsteps of um, leading a group of guys, coaching them up about life and and doing everything you can to, to best position them for, for success. Um, you know, it was... 2018, uh, I was at Dixie State, which is now Utah Tech. You know, when I was there, they were a Division II school. Now they're Division One, And we had had like a nice little run of guys that had gotten drafted. Um, it did just different points in the draft. Uh, one of them even made the big leagues this last year with Kansas City. And, you know, it was at that time, uh, a mutual friend of both you and I, Levi Lacey, who runs the Pacific Northwest for the Rangers, uh, put me in touch with Kip Fag, our scouting director, Casey Harvey, our West Coast cross-checker. And that's kind of how I got started on this scouting genesis um, and this scouting path. You know, at, at the time we had just had a baby too. So it was kind of just a situation where I felt there was maybe more upside just personally for me going into scouting. And, and it's been really rewarding. The thing that, you know, I think I love the most about it is just the fact that just wishing and hoping and betting on these players you know it's kind of what we're really doing in a in a microcosm like we all know what the big picture numbers say how few of these guys are actually going to make it but you know to really feel compelled about player a and go in there and kind of learn about them and spill your guts and fight for them uh to me is just it's really fun and then to fast forward five six years see see who they are and what they are is is a really 
fun process to go through. And I don't think a lot of people probably appreciate all the hours that go into our jobs, um, you know, for, for what it is. But, you know, when you get a chance to look back and go, man, I got that guy right. It's uh, it's incredibly rewarding. Yeah, I love the way that you you put that just earlier too, talking about being an opinion maker in this job and then forecasting into the future, you know, what these young kids are going to be like, you know, at physical and mental maturity. That to me is, you know, what I gravitate towards in scouting as well. You know, we're really looking into a crystal ball and trying to predict the future. How do you do that? Well, you got to, you got to, have an understanding of the player's developmental context, how they were developed in this game, you know, what their background is, their family background, what kind of personality they have, what drives them to learn. So I think there's so much that goes on behind the scenes in scouting. Like when you turn on one of these uh, television networks or some of the emerging sort of scouting media stuff that's out there, the, the sexy and flashy part of it is, the you know they're breaking down video or they're talking about players talent and things like that and of course they're talking about the best in the game it gets pretty easy at that level you know i mean we're at the level here where we're talking about sometimes even underclass players 15 year olds 14 16 year olds and then pr continuing to pr project them year over year and we see sort of the volatility of their development too the the massive ups and downs and yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you just as far as the the crystal ball nature of it. And I think what you said at the outset there was super interesting about how you got into scouting as far as you weren't someone who came from an Ivy League background. Uh, you know, you were a player. You were you looking for a coach. You know, you wanted to get into coaching. Leadership was something that drew you to it. And I think that's a great segue into our next topic, which is kind of that old school versus new school scouting, you know, and I think that's a lightning rod topic in our industry. And I just found it interesting the way you put it as far as, you know, Hey, I didn't come from an Ivy league background. And that's almost kind of where we've evolved to today. Whereas I think where we were, you know, a decade or so and longer ago, the traditional path in scouting looked a lot more like what your path is, you know, coming in as a player, someone who had experience and is a baseball lifer that, you know, I felt like that profession, it had so much mystique and lore around it because you almost had to have that uh, expertise and that experience in order to do the job. And I think it's evolved now to the point where, like you said, now there's some people from different backgrounds coming into the game. And that sort of brings in the dichotomy of old school versus a new school. I think it's a fascinating topic that hasn't been unpacked that much. So Pat, let's unpack it a little bit. And I want to get your thoughts on this. You're from the Texas Rangers. I'm from the Cleveland Guardians. You're a baseball lifer. I'm someone who came from a different industry, different field of study, sort of a nerd of the game and then came into the game. So I think we're, we're two great people to have this uh, conversation, especially because you're a mentor to me and you've taken me under your wing in this industry. And so I think we've got great perspective on it. And so without further ado, I just wanna ask you, first of all, like define old school for me. Like, let's start there. Like, what do you think the old school way of scouting is? 
if I was to have to define that, I would just say it's the identification visually of talent, right? I go out, I see these traditional scouting tools, you know, that we all have to evaluate and grade, hit tool, run tool, arm strength, yada, yada, yada. Like what you see is what you get, you know? Um, if he's got, if, if it looks like a duck, walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's a duck. Like to me, I, th that's as old school, I think, as, as I could make it and define it. I'm, I'm with that. Okay. So I'm liking where you're going with it. Now tell me, like, what would you define? I like how you put it too, is that if you had to define it. So I see where you're going. What about new school? How would you define new school? Distribution list um, on just a bigger scale, right? It's, I'm going to take every little finite data point and I'm going to compare that guy relative to his peers. Um, that would be my like just literal simple explanation of new school is distribution tables. Yeah, no, I, I, I see where you're going with it. And I kind of have some similar thoughts because, you know, I think it's hard to separate the two, honestly, when you get a deep, when you get deep into discussion, because you feel like you're doing an injustice to one or the other, when you just like limit it to, uh, you know, I think it comes down to technology, right? Like, so you said tools and data, right? And sort of using your eyes as, as the old, as the primary old school way, and then the new school way is going to be kind of data driven. That's the framework that I see. But I think we kind of get the reason I wanted to have this topic is because I feel like it gets done an injustice in terms of there's balance between the two. You know, I think the best scouts throughout time have been the guys who have been willing to do both. You know, they understand how to utilize the resources at their disposal, but they're also very good at being in the yard and taking in that information and then understanding the value of that uh, in the overall evaluation, you know, that in-person look, that just being one piece of the entire puzzle. So to me, you know, sort of my next question would be like, you know, in your opinion, do you have to be one or the other? You know, do you, do you think like you kind of have to be in one school or the other? What's, what end of the spectrum would you consider yourself on? Mm. Uh, I mean, as a former player coach, probably lean more to that old school, you know, of just, this is what I see. This is what my gut's telling me. This is what my instincts say about the player, regardless of what any, maybe one or two, three data points might say, um, just my inclination and my feeling towards, towards that player, just based on coaching them, being around them in the clubhouse, you know, just seeing a Rolodex of players that have matured through the years, you know, um, you know, I think you kind of highlighted us earlier, you know, being world champs, this and that, you know, and this is kind of maybe a segue into what we're talking about, but also kind of pulling all these different things together, you know, like on the amateur front, I feel like we won the world series this year because of the 2020 major league baseball draft. You know, we took Evan Carter in the second round, you know, who came on uh, in the playoffs and, and helped propelled us to our, our first World Series title. 
you know, back in August, we we traded two other guys from that draft, TK Roby, Thomas Segesi, uh, for Jordan Montgomery, who I don't even think we would have made the playoffs had we not picked him up, you know? And so I think if you were to dig up those guys and not just get caught up into who they are right now, but go back into those moments from a scouting perspective, like, you know, you'd find cases where, like all those dudes checked all those boxes in some way, shape or form, like Carter, there wasn't hardly any data on him. Like, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of context for him on this like showcase circuit uh, because he didn't go to him, you know? So he was relatively like unhidden from a lot of the technological x-rays that we have out there. So it did, it boiled back to just maybe more old school scouting and getting out there and finding the guy in the small rural town where, um, you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to look up Thomas Agassi's max preps and go, oh man, like this guy could really hit. Like it was double digit home runs his entire career every year from his freshman year. So it's like, you know, you, what high level math do we have to do to know that this guy can hit the ball? Um, you know, and, and so it's, again, it's, I, I think to your point, like, I think the best scouts, they always apply context to everything whether it's old school, just seeing the tools, you know, like 92 in Vegas might look different than 92 in Southern California. Um, just different environments, different climates. They're going to play different. Same thing goes for power. Um, you know, and the same thing goes for the numbers too. You know, like uh, I was going through a, a gentleman in the, the four corners earlier this morning and you know, I've got all these data points on him and one says his extensions like five foot one and the other one says his extension is six foot eight. So, well, what is it? What's the context? And I think the, the best scouts in this business find a way to provide context on everything that they do. Yeah, I mean, that's a great, that's a great breakdown. This is why I love talking to you about this stuff. And, you know, I think about these things often and I know on paper, like for myself, anybody would look at me on paper and say that I'm probably supposed to be on the new school side of the spectrum. But like I said, I think it's kind of an unfair discussion because the best scouts have a blend of both. And I'm a guy who's, who's, who very much so values kind of like old school uh, things such as that in-person communication or like the history that a scout can have with a player, you know, based on scouting or based on coaching them or whatever it is or just a long-standing history things that kind of that new school approach lose a little bit because it's so steeped in data and to me I love the Evan Carter example that you used and and the the ability for the Rangers to be able to take that player in the second round no less even though like you said he was hidden from some of these x-rays that we have but you guys still had a strong enough process. You guys still, because of that lack of information on that side, I'm sure knowing Kip, knowing the way that you guys run, knowing the way that department is run, I know that the homework was done to supplement there and make sure that as much as homework as we can do on this player, we've done it, you know, and so that we can feel good about selecting that player and having the organization be in a position to select that player, even with that quote unquote missing information, you know, and I think that's what, what can separate a scouting department with, with uh, 
the ability to have the flexibility to select a player with that kind of premium value, you know, even when all that other information is not there because the rest of the process is so strong. And so if oh. I had to poke holes, I'm sorry, if I had to poke holes in the new school way, it would just be that, you know, data is huge. And I'm like, I put everything through the prism of information. Like I want as much information as is available. Okay. But if there's not that much information available, that's okay. We just need to do other things to feel good about that decision. Does that make sense, Pat? And and please go with what you were going to say. No, no, it, it piggybacks off of what you were talking about of, you know, at times I think too much information, this is how I was hearing you, too much information can tend to muddy the waters where it's, you know, you really need to get down to just that right piece of information that, that matters for this particular prospect. I mean, and I, I hope my years aren't off on this, but I know you are involved you know, immensely in the signing of Ricky Tiedemann with uh, Toronto, you know, and like, I mean, how many x-rays did that guy throw in front of? How many scouts did that guy throw in front of? You know, and and now I, there's a, a lot of orgs that would want that dude back because the, the right piece of information was just right there all along. Like, we, we got to unlock the mobility, the arm works, the strikes are quality, like maybe some of the spin stuff doesn't line up, but this guy's going to have a future like 80 heater. You know, we need to take this guy, you know, good in the draft and look at how that's paying off. You know, there'd be a lot of teams that would love to trade for that guy right now. Yeah, that's another awesome example. And I was just kind of a, a very minimal part of that process. But I was, you know, I did I worked in video as a development scout for the Ranger. I mean, for the uh, Blue Jays at that time. And it was just cool. Like, of course, I did my job to get video, some slow motion video, you know, using some of that technology, but he was a junior college arm. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, you're not going to have as much data on a guy at, you know, at Golden West as you are on a guy at UCLA or something like that. So that was cool, you know, in my early scouting career to see the way the process was run there at the area level, the cross check level we had so many scouts come in there and look at him. And then, you know, I got to be part of the meetings in the background and all these questions were being asked, you know, as far as, Hey, where there's where, where data might not be able to answer that question. Like, Hey, we can ask the scout, you know, and the scout can help to fill in some of that, you know, with the tools and the personal information about the player, because thing about data is, it is, I feel like it is a, uh, a cross reference, you know, it is a way to check what we are seeing with our eyes a and vice versa, right? Where, you know, we can, we can see if our eyes are, are calibrated correctly by looking at the data, you know, and then there's a deeper level to it because it gets hard. It gets very difficult. You know, once you start getting into complicated numbers and sifting through, like you said, the context of every statistic and things like that. Like what if a guy was pitching through an injury, you know, and that was something that impacted his, his statistical numbers and his output and his velocity and things like that. So you have to provide that context and say, you know, Hey, this is, this is a possible reason. Whereas if you just go through the uh, prism of data, you may miss 
that there's these other factors at play and there's actually an underlying more ceiling to this player than what the raw numbers are indicating. Well, it's, I always love when I go through some of the stuff that we have, you know, and, you know, maybe you're running a filter through fastballs. I just want to see all the fastballs, you know, and next thing you know, you see the outliers at like 75 and like, oh, that's clearly a curveball, just mistagged. Uh, I remember, you know, when I first got into this business, um, being at Cal Berkeley and, you know, watching a, uh, I'm assuming just somebody working for one of these companies, like literally charting everything on a piece of paper that ultimately gets plugged into the system that they take. And so you just think about all the different little errors that could go on in that little context of somebody's writing on a piece of paper. Now the piece of paper has to go get scanned and faxed in. Then somebody has to take that scan and then punch the numbers in the computer. And, you know, you start to see like, okay, like just like I can make mistakes on that runtime and with the stopwatch, like there's definitely mistakes on again, the, the context of the numbers and what does it all mean? Um, you know, so I, I hope that fits in well with where you were going with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm sorry, I didn't even ask you a question there at the end, but I think this is something that I'm super passionate about and kind of where I've arrived on this is it's very hard to beat a human being who is, who has very strong process and who does have the ability to look at numbers and, and look at the nuance as well, bring in makeup into the equation I think a human being can balance variables on the human side, obviously, that the intangible things that a computer or a model cannot. And so one thing I think where I've gotten into debates with people who are very, you know, very, very data driven, and I am too, you know, I, I think I fall on that side of the spectrum, but I just think that 1% or that 2% of scouts who are at the top of our field who, you know, they have like, you know, I, I always use Tony LaCava as an example when I was with the Toronto Blue Jays, who's, who's like, to me, like a godfather of scouting, you know, but you talk to that guy, he's got a lifetime of experience behind the evaluations that he's putting together. But he's also extremely intelligent on the data side and understands how to look at that information. And when he puts all of that through his own processor in his brain with his experience and his background. And he comes out with his report and his evaluation. I think you got to take that guy very seriously. If it's maybe says something a little bit different than what the industry has landed on because he's in that one or 2%. Well, I, th I think too, getting to the bottom of the player um, group think can tend to take over. Uh, and I, I think you're always looking for those outliers, you know, who's, who's maybe a contrarian on a player or who really doesn't like him when everybody else does, you know, I think having those harder, more intimate discussions, uh, can help really get to the bottom of it. I mean, I, for me, Tom, like Tommy Troy was a guy, like I was probably the low man on him. Don't know why. I mean, I know what the numbers say impacts the hell out of the baseball. It's a short swing, you know, but for me, I saw some flaws in there, you know, and like didn't like him as much as everybody else. So, but when you have those discussions, like, I feel like it, it helps you get to the bottom of the player better. 
you hit on it right there. I think that was a great point as far as like bringing out contrarian points of view. You know, just if somebody has a different opinion, let's bring that to the surface, you know, and, and why is that, you know, or if your scouts are, if, if you, if your scouts seem to be saying one thing and the data is saying another thing, then that needs to be flushed out in a room, right? Where it, you know, like somebody needs to bring that. I think I, that's what I loved about being in that 2019 draft room with Kip and all you guys is that it was just a huge group discussion and Kip was leading that discussion. And, you know, sometimes, yeah, sometimes we're in that room for 11 hours and you know what? I mean, a couple of those hours might be wasted, you know, because you're trying to find your way in the discussion, but they're not really wasted because you need to like slog through it a little bit in order sometimes to bring up a point that might be like a really, really important discussion piece. Absolutely. This is one thing I wanted to hit you with, because I know, as you said, like you're maybe a touch more on the data side. Um, you know, when you talk about that spectrum between old school and new school, do you think players from like my era? So like Oh four to Oh nine, like, do you think that they could still play in today's game? I know that's kind of like a, a gray, maybe foggy question, but do you think that those guys could still play today? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I've got a super well-reasoned answer for it, but I think there's something behind it as far as, you know, I find it insane that guys like Randy Johnson, who's an alien, or Kurt Schilling or Greg Maddox, you know, who's Greg Maddox is not a physically monstrous guy or anything, but he posted insane numbers, long time, 300 wins, guys hit 500 homers. We live in a, I mean, I'm, you know, where you're going with the question, I'm curious, is it, is it because, do you think those guys would have been able to have the same numbers? Like, do you think Randy Johnson has thrown 200 innings every year and punching out 300 guys? Or are we at a point with data where it's like, Hey guys are just, you know, your Cy Young winners are getting 180 innings, you know, and, and they're winning 12 games, but they're in their averaging 5.2 or 6.1 innings per outing. And is that because, of this acceleration in data that is like making every at bat so much more well executed on every front. I think I was kind of coming from maybe where we started with this, you know, old school versus new school. Cause you know, like yourself, you know, I have mentors in this business that have like an incredible life resume scouting, you know, 30, 40 years of going out there and, and seeing players and evaluating tools and, and putting the whole pizza together, if you will, in terms of who they are, you know, and I feel like at times they can get discredited, like, well, you know, the, what you scouted 30 years ago doesn't play today, but yet the, the same people who will make that comment will use like historical data from 30 years ago to like feed the model and build the case for some guys and maybe not for others. And so I think it's just like an interesting thought exercise to, you know, rewind some of those and go like, okay, like what played, what didn't, um, you know, and, and just kind of compare and contrast. Like, I think like Pedroia, like, you know, like if you looked at all his data from Arizona state, like, would he have been like a huge outlier? I don't know. Um, you know, but I know he was a damn good big leaguer and it was 80 makeup. So, 
just t- tough to quantify all these things in today's game. I feel like at times. Yeah, no. And no, I mean, totally see what you're saying about the bringing it back to the old school versus new school. And, you know, as it relates to me, I consider myself on the data driven side, mostly because I have respect for experience. And I feel like I have to, I don't have that experience, you know, so where, where can I make up for that gap? If at all, it would be in the fact that I could look at what is the history of this type of player, because I don't have my own experience Hmm. to lean on in that area. And that's why I talk about some of the best scouts is like, you know, I've got a ton of respect for you as a scout and, and you're great in my opinion at, you know, using your experience, but then also you know, where, where necessary, you do bring in the data and you do bring in the information and you do use that, you know, to, as part of your evaluation, you know, and that's like something that I'm always in awe of, of the, the, the scouts who came before me because they are baseball lifers, you know, and that's a, that's a perspective that I can't have. And it's, it's super important in a game like baseball that, you know, the, the, what happens on the field, in the dugout, in the clubhouse, those are so, such important things to be noticing and understanding um, that sometimes somebody with that experience in the game can put together in an evaluation and tell you, you know, hey, this is why this player has like on field, like on field makeup is a real thing, you know, and, and like, makeup in the dugout in the clubhouse is a real thing and how that translates not only to you as a teammate, but how you're going to develop as a player. And so I just think those kind of things are, they're not always brought into focus by if you go through purely the old school or purely the new school, you have to have a lot of a balance between the two. So I think you're right. Like you can't use that. If you're going to, if you're going to, if you're going to discriminate against older scouts and say, Hey, your experience from 30 years ago doesn't matter, but we're going to use the data from back then. You know, I definitely don't think that's fair because, but if you're going to say that, Hey, we're in a 20 round draft. Now the game has changed in X, Y, and Z areas. And so we're really focusing on the last 10 years of data. Then. Okay. Uh, no, there's absolutely. no question there. I just, no, what, what you got? no, you know, and like, I was even thinking about this in the pitching context, you know, it's like, okay, you're trying to compare, all these amateur pitchers and their spin rates and all this stuff, you know, maybe even over the last decade um, compared to these big leaguers and these people that are internally in professional baseball. And it's like, well, didn't we just come off like a spider tack gate, you know, like the, if, if hitters had the steroid eras in the two thousands and pitchers somewhere along the line started attacking the heck out of the ball. Like, don't you think that data is a little like, top end heavy with what some of these spin rates are doing, you know, and uh, like, you can't tell me that like it isn't going on some way, somehow, you know, if, if the game's proven anything there, there, there's always guys looking for an angle or, you know, a way to leverage their abilities. Absolutely. And that's what exactly what I think is like it, that question has merit and like someone needs, to, maybe there's an easy explanation for it and a data scientist can explain it, but I feel like it's it's a question that's worth being asked and worth being answered, you know, as part of a productive discussion when it comes to evaluating players. And then we'll kind of wrap up here fairly soon, but I do want to ask you something here, kind of taking it in a in a in another direction a little bit. But we we're talking about like Randy Johnson, Greg Maddox, guys like that. 
playing in the steroid era. Of course, those guys didn't have links to that stuff. But I think we, we're, we've kind of gone through a player development revolution in our game. And so player development gets a ton of credit these days, you know, like Chris Taylor, for example, you know, or a Max Muncy, like a couple cases with the Dodgers, right? Where they get a ton of credit for like taking these guys who are not seen as that level of player and then developing them into that player with a new swing and a new, you know, new, you know, using these new school um, swing development tactics and things like that. Um, and so I think player development gets a ton of that credit. But my question for you is like, with player development, with scouting, why do why do you think, you know, our best players, our best pitchers go like 160, 180, like the guys of 300 wins and posting 200 innings every year are gone. Why were guys able to do that back then and not now? You know, when they were allegedly guys are in way better shape now, um, guys were ripping heaters in Randy Johnson's day and, and at, you know, in the locker room or whatever. And I mean, he, he threw a hundred mile an hour fastball. So of course I haven't seen another pitcher like that, but back in those days, dude threw 200 innings. So what's your kind of like explanation on the durability side and all that and how it relates to player development scouting? Pitch man, I'm sorry, risk management, I think is probably the single biggest reason why I think guys are seeing the mound less, you know, somebody, again, analyzing data from some era came to some conclusion you know, they probably have a vested interest financially in some sort of certain product for rehab, you know, came up with like this concept of guys just, you know, they shouldn't throw this much or there's a diminishing return at some point throughout the year where, where guys can continue, you know, and that somebody else that's in a different situation or has different motivations than I do. Um, you know, I do think like, on the scouting front, how it impacts us is, you know, just finding guys that are truly sustainable, um, guys that we believe that whether they play the field with ease, where they can play 160 games a year, or arms that we believe can throw at the top ends of, you know, what guys, at least starting pitchers are throwing these days. I think it's just important for us to identify those easy movers uh, and guys that can do things with less effort. Absolutely. No, I mean, that's a super deep topic right there. Maybe that's a topic for another episode because that's like, there's so many variables at play there. So put that on the note list as far as the future goes. But um, on that note of the future, let's kind of wrap things up here. But with our discussion of the old school versus new school, your experience in the game as a mentor, you know, as a, as a guy, as a baseball lifer, you're a mentor to me. I've come into the game more in the last six, seven years and, and just kind of getting my feet wet in the scouting game. What do you think about the future of scouting? What does that look like to you? And a little deeper, you know, do you think we're in the middle of a period of change? I think the future is bright for this industry in a whole. Um, you know, I think as the Meyer Leagues consolidate, opportunities become less, you know, I, I envision probably more closer to the NFL one day where, you know, you're going from draft to immediate major league impact and like a, a relatively small window. So I think teams will have, um, they'll have less time to hide behind their misses. Uh, 
which I think will kind of bring a, about this renaissance of who who are we taking, why are we taking them, you know, and no matter how much information is out there, you know, there's always going to be asymmetric information. And I think scouts will be kind of at the forefront of that information, you know, of, of knowing the, the little nuances of the training regiments, the nuances of the makeup. Uh, I think those type things are going to really separate us that no like questionnaire, no third party vendors, like it's just going to take like the blood, sweat and tears of a guy on the ground who's, who's willing to dig up that information and just keep asking relevant questions. I think that's where, I think that's where the, the, the future is for us. And yeah, I, I think maybe Renaissance, I, I don't know, but I certainly think that um, what we do more and more is going to get validated um, by how quick these guys make impacts at the major league level. I love that right there. Keep asking relevant questions. That just seems like you could just throw that in quotes, throw a, hey, Pat Perry said it, Scoutsiders episode one, January <laughs> 17th. Keep asking relative questions. And I thought that was super interesting what you said too about the, uh, you know, you can't hide behind your misses for very long because of the um, the immediacy of feedback now and sort of that the way that will play into the loop. Uh, I'm with you. I think nothing can replace that guy on the ground. And I, I just think, the whole world is moving at a faster pace now. So it's just about who, who can adapt, who can utilize all the resources available to them in a fast moving, fast paced environment, because it just feels like, you know, everything in scouting is moving super fast. There's a, there's evolution going on. And that's why I asked about if we're in the middle of a change, because it feels like usually you don't know it until afterward. Right. And then we look back on it and we say, wow, there was a huge sea change from, you know, 20, you know, from 2020 to 2020, from 2030, because in the fallout of the going from a 40 round to a 20 round draft, you know? So I think there has been definitely changes since that happened, both for the positive and negative. And, uh, you know, I think that's something that we'll continue to unpack. But like you said, uh, the future of scouting is super bright and we'll just keep going out there and asking relevant questions. But Pat, I uh, want you to leave these guys. I'm going to close things up here for both of us. But um, if you've got any closing statements, uh, social media handles, anything like that to share, uh, any parting words for us, hit them with us. Hit them with no, us. Shiraz, this has been a, a great uh, episode. I'm honored to be the first uh, guest on here. I'm excited to see when it drops. Uh don't really believe in social media, but I'm on there. Patrick J. Perry on X. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm eager to see where this trends and uh, uh, eager to see you next out on the road, hunting them down and asking the relevant questions. Thanks a ton, Pat. Thanks for joining me today. That's Pat Perry, our co-founder here at Scoutsiders. Like I said, world champion. Texas Rangers scout and hey we're we're looking forward to the future here. Thank you all for joining us. I'll throw this I'll throw what socials we have in the description and we look forward to you guys joining us in the future. But hey, do us a favor if you guys enjoyed this content and you want to see more of it, hit us with a like, 
hit us with the subscribe give us some comments down there even if you think we stink would just tell us why you know and maybe we'll maybe we'll reply we'll engage with you and we'll improve next time out but thanks everyone that's scout siders episode one looking forward to the future